title of the message is Before Royalty, Cross Etiquette. Before Royalty, Cross Etiquette. You know, when you are going to visit with a, someone that is of a royal family, right? If you're going to visit with a queen or a king, it is important that you make sure that when you go there, that you have the proper etiquette, right? That you meet and greet them in the way they ought to be met and greeted. Uh, there's so many things. I looked online as to what you ought to do when you come across royalty, how you're supposed to engage with them. There are many things that I found. When you're addressing the queen or king, you need to appropriately address them right, using words like your majesty or your highness. Men, when you approach them, you need to bow. Women, you need to do the whole curtsy thing, right? Um, you need to make sure that when you are approaching them, that you wait for them to extend their arm. And when you, dis- when you talk with them, you should not ask personal questions. If there is a social event, the host needs to make sure that he gives up his seat or her seat in order for them to sit there. So there's so many things that you ought to do in order for you to engage or interact with someone that is of the royal family. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, we're about to pray, but I just want to set up these introductory remarks. Revelation chapter 19, verse 16 Jesus is called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. How many of you guys recognize that Jesus is royalty? Amen? When we we worship God, when we come to His presence, we ought to recognize that. We ought to recognize that God is sovereign, that Jesus is royal. But you know, sometimes I feel that we don't recognize that enough in our lives. Sometimes I feel like even when we walk into church, you know, sometimes it's, it's so easy for us to get caught up in a, in, in a secular conversation or get distracted by the things that are around us. Sometimes we forget, even when we come to church, that we are worshiping the sovereign God. You know, Jesus, when we come to him, we should always recognize that he is royalty, that he is the king of kings. And so when we come to worship him, it is my prayer that we all come to him in reverence. Amen. That when we worship him, that we always recognize that. We recognize Jesus. Let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer as we get into our message this morning. Before royalty, cross etiquette. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, dear God, it is my pleasure, and I count it a privilege, to stand before this sacred desk this morning. Father, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I'm, I'm the person to, to do this, but Father, you have called me to do it. And for that, Lord, I thank you. But Lord, I just want to pray this morning, as you know that I am in desperate need of you. I pray, Father, that you would fill my heart. I pray that, Lord, you would be the one to communicate to my frontal lobe, that you would give me the words that I need to speak here this morning. Father, we come before you recognizing that you are the King of all kings. Recognizing that you are the God of the universe. And Father, how, how much we are just wanting to hear your voice this morning. How much we just want to hear something, Father, uh, from this message here this morning that will make an impact in our lives, that, as mentioned already, that will bring us higher in our Christian experience. It is my sincere prayer, Father, that as we delve into this message, as we talk about this topic, cross-etiquette, I pray that, Lord, we would learn what it means to bear the cross of Christ And help us to learn from the Bible, Lord, what we need to do in order to carry that cross. And so it is my sincere prayer, Father. I can't do this alone. I need your spirit in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would be speaking directly from your throne this morning, I pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I had the privilege of going to the Philippines for a mission trip a few years ago. Actually, it was several years ago. Um, and this mission trip was such a blessing. It was a life-changing experience for me. And I was able to go to this, to, to this country, the Philippines, with a, a group of my friends. We all went there for the purpose of reaching the hearts of the young people. So I was stationed with a, a select group of friends of mine. That we were stationed in this, in this college while the other half of our group was stationed in a mountain called Mount Sikau. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. But they were stationed in this mountain, and uh, we didn't see each other for a majority of the trip, but when we did get a chance to see each other, we were so excited, we were so thrilled to see each other, and we were sharing stories back and forth. We were telling each other all the powerful experiences that God was doing in both, both, both camps. How God was using us, you know, these, these weak young people, to be able to share the gospel with these young people. And seeing how they're making decisions for Christ and seeing how their lives were being changed. We were just sharing these stories back and forth. And I remember there was one story one of my friends shared with me who was stationed in Mount Sikau. Uh, I remember she was telling me just the incredible experience it was just being out there. She truly felt the presence of God. And she was telling me, you know, there were times we would have our morning devotional worships and we would wake up just, you know, way before the sun even, the, the sun even broke out. And we would wake up because we had to go over to the worship area and give a devotional talk to some of the children. And so she was telling me this story and she told me, you know, what was so powerful about this entire thing was that when we would wake up early in the morning, we were thinking to ourselves that when we would get there, that we would be the first people there. But as they would walk there in the dark, as they were walking to the worship area, they quickly realized that there were a group of people that beat them there. They quickly realized that the people that they were going to give a devotional talk to were already sitting in their chairs, but more than just sitting there, these young people were there and ready. She was telling me the story of how they would be walking towards the worship area. And as they're walking closer to the worship area, they would hear the sounds of singing. And they realized that the people that were singing were the young children. And they were singing these hymns, these hymns that we, we have in the Seventh-day Adventist hymnal. They were singing these hymns from the top of their lungs. And my friend, as she would go closer and closer and she would, and she would look into the building, she realized that there was no lights. She quickly realized that the entire building was dark. And it was so powerful for, for her to recognize that here are these young children. They came to worship God and they are singing these hymns straight out of memory. And what was even more powerful is as she continued to elaborate. She told me, you know what's so beautiful about this entire thing is that these young children, they're not coming just across the street, from across the street. They're not just coming from, from their house and walking two minutes to get there. These are young children that have to walk a mile, two miles, three miles, just to get there on time for worship. And to me, that was like a rebuke. These young people, young children, worshiping God, getting ready for the day by spending time with their precious Lord and Savior. You know, they recognized who God was. They recognized who Jesus is. They recognized that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it was their hope that every day they would go, be, be at that place early in the morning to greet their king. Beloved, I hope that we have that desire. Amen?
That each and every day that we would wake up and that would be the first thing that is on our minds. That the, the first thing that, 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 that comes into our minds is that we want to spend time with the King. It's sad because if you turn to Matthew chapter 17, we're going to see a story where there was a group of followers, the disciples, three of them, who were not ready to meet the king. Turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, we're going to be looking at this story, and this story is called the Mount of Transfiguration. You guys familiar? Mount of Transfiguration. And here we see that uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 17. We're going to pick up right into the story. But I want you to notice what it says in verse 1. Matthew chapter 17, looking at verse 1. And if you are there, can you just say, Amen. Praise God. Matthew chapter 17, looking at verse 1. The Bible says, And after six days, Jesus taketh whom? Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. Just to give you the context of what's going on here. There has just been a day that has been far spent in doing ministry. The disciples, Peter, James, John, the other disciples as well, and Jesus, they were, they were engaged in doing the work of the Lord. Jesus was just constantly ministering to the multitudes of people like he usually does. Healing the sick, the lame, the blind, preaching and teaching to the multitudes of people. And of course the disciples were there to help him and assist him in this great work. But as the day was so long, as the day was far spent, and as the day was coming to a close, Jesus wanted to do something special with his three disciples, Peter, James, and John. So Jesus turns to Peter, James, and John, I would imagine, as, a multi, as a, the twelve are there, and he says, hey, I want you guys to follow me up this mountain. Sure enough, they start treading up this mountain. Jesus is in the lead. The disciples are following, or perhaps they are right by his side. And as they are walking up this mountain, the disciples are starting to get tired. They're starting to get weary from this journey. And, and, and the disciples, as you read through the Spirit of Prophecy and Desire of Ages, it talks about how these disciples are confused as to what Jesus is doing right now. Why is it that Jesus is leading us up this mountain? Doesn't Jesus know that we have been spending all day laboring for souls? So the disciples are tired. Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. The Bible says in verse 2, And, notice this, As they were apart in this mountain, and was transfigured before them. Speaking of Jesus. And his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. What a powerful imagery here. As they are making this way up the mountain, as they have has walked a good journey. Here we see Jesus transfigures. The Bible talks about how his light was shining as the sun. It talks about how his raiment was white as light. It reminds me of the image that John the Revelator saw when he saw Jesus, very similar. When he looked upon the face of Jesus, he saw his face like, like the sun. His, his robe, very similar. Here we see, this is just a powerful thing that happens. Jesus transfigures. In other words, what happens here is the divinity of Jesus is shown for a brief moment. Look at verse 3. The Bible says in verse 3, And behold, there appeared unto them who? Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. 
Now, here in this, this particular gospel, in this, as Matthew describes this scene, there is a portion that he leaves out. You see, as the disciples were there, this scene, it almost appears as though the disciples were wide awake the entire time. That as this whole thing happened, as, as Jesus transfigured, as his face just shone like the sun, as his, as his garment was white like light, as, as, as Moses and Elijah came into the picture, it almost seems that we can just get from here that the disciples were wide awake, that they were looking at this glorious scene. However, that was not the case. As I had mentioned, these disciples, they were very tired. They were walking so long. They got to the point that their eyes became heavy and they fell asleep. They didn't catch the scene, not until the tail end. And so what ends up happening here is the disciples, they pretty much lose out on the opportunity that God was giving them. You see, Jesus, as he was bringing them up this mountain, he had in his mind, he had a plan. He wanted Peter, James, and John to be able to receive a message that would cause a fire in their hearts, a fire within the bones. He wanted to give them a message that would cause them to be leaders among the disciples. He wanted to give them a message that they, that, that, that would just, that they would catch a fire and proclaim the name of Jesus to this world that he wanted to, them to have this message. However, the disciples gave in to the weariness. They allowed their heavy eyes to shut. And as a result, they missed out on the opportunity that they had. Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, she says, through being overcome with sleep, the disciples heard little of what passed between Christ and the heavenly messengers. Failing to watch and pray, they had not received that which God desired to give them. A knowledge of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. They lost the blessing that might have been theirs through sharing his self-sacrifice. Slow of heart to believe were these disciples. Little appreciative of the treasure with which heaven sought to enrich them. Jesus wanted to give Peter, James, and John the privilege of being able to hear him speak with the heavenly messengers. There was something in that conversation that Jesus wanted these three beloved disciples to listen in on. However, because they were overwhelmed by, sleep, by, by their, their weariness, they fell asleep. Beloved, I wonder how many times do we do that? You know, it's easy to look at these disciples and just think, man, these, uh, these knuckleheads, right? How can you just fall asleep when Jesus is trying to do something special for you? But I wonder how many times do we do that day to day when Jesus has a special message to give to us? Or perhaps we are invited to, to, to this opportunity where we can go to a camp meeting. Or perhaps we come to church. We have this precious opportunity to hear the voice of God. To receive a message directly from heaven. But how often is it the case that we, like the disciples, give in to our weariness? How, is it, how often is it the case where we fall asleep when we should be listening to the message that God wants to give to us? Or perhaps it may not be literally falling asleep. Perhaps the sleep that, that, that we, fall, we fall into is, a, is, a, is more of a figurative sleep. Perhaps instead of literally falling asleep, we give in to the distractions that are around us. 
We turn to our cell phones or we turn to our neighbor discussing things that are unrelated to what the preacher is speaking about. Perhaps there is a distraction in our lives that's causing us to figuratively sleep on Jesus. I can, I don't know about you, but I can think of many times in my life where I've done that. Many times in my life where I would be in church and I would just, you know, oh yeah, everyone's here and I hear the message, but I tune out because of the distractions that are around me. You see, God is constantly trying to speak to us. He constantly wants to give us a message. But beloved, how important is it for us, each and every one of us, to stay awake? How important is it for us to keep our eyes open when Jesus is in the room? I'd like you to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. As you turn there, if you could look at verse six, uh, verse 24, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. We're going to read this passage here that's going to be talking about the need to carry our cross. But before we read that, I just want to say this, that the deci- uh, Ellen White also talks about the desire of ages. Something very interesting, and that is that, you know, the Peter, James, and John, as they were there, um, as they had witnessed a, at least a little part of this wonderful scene of Jesus with Moses and Elijah, you see what they do, right? You see Peter, at least, he, 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 he has this desire to set up these tabernacles for Jesus, for Moses, for Elijah. And it seems as though he's doing a good thing there, that he wants to recognize the visitors, he wants to recognize Jesus as he has, has been transfigured. But what's very interesting is, if you read into this, this, this particular chapter, you will find the motive of Peter. You will find the motive of the disciples. You will find that these disciples, though they had seen the scene, these disciples were thinking to themselves, like, this is it. That Jesus is going to help have the assistance of Moses and Elijah, and they are going to do this great work of establishing an earthly kingdom here. This was their hope. This was their ambition. And when they saw Moses and Elijah there, they thought this was it. This is the opportunity that Jesus has to establish his authority. And they were thinking to themselves, perhaps imagining in their their minds, wow, this is is it. You guys recall the the, the conversations they had with each other. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, right? They were thinking about where they're going to sit in this earthly kingdom once it's established. What throne they are going to take. They wanted the kingdom. But you know what Ellen White says? She says in Desire of Ages, as she's in context of all of this, she says, but before the crown must come the cross. Before the crown must come the cross. You know, it's true that the disciples had a faulty understanding of what Jesus' mission on earth was to be. You see, Jesus was not there to establish an earthly kingdom. He was there to die for sinners. But here's the thing. I I think that we can pull a lesson out of this because oftentimes I believe that we are the same, like the disciples. That we want the reward, but we do not want to bear the cross. Turn your Bibles or you should be there. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Notice what the scripture says. It reads, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited 
if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Here we see Jesus communicating to his disciples that in order for you to follow me, there is a condition that needs to be met. In order for you to follow my path, in order for you to follow my footsteps, there is something that you need to do, and you need to listen to this very carefully. You need to take up your what? Your cross. You need to take up your cross. That is how you can be a disciple of Jesus. That is how you know you can be a follower of Christ. If you take up the cross, denying yourself, following Him. But as I had mentioned, I know know that sometimes we, like the disciples, we just want to be in heaven. We just want to be there in that glorious place. We want to commune with the heavenly angels, be with Jesus, perhaps pet the lions, right? We have this glorious hope, this, this desire to want to be in heaven. But when Jesus says, hey, pick up your cross, we turn around. Cross. I'm supposed to deny self? I need to pick up this, this, this heavy piece of wood. I need to, I need to pick up this wood in, in order to follow you. I need to take up this cross. When we hear the cross, we kind of shy away. Because we know by taking up the cross, there is shame. We know when taking up the cross, there is self-sacrifice. There is self-denial. We know that by taking up the cross, it's going to be a hard walk. And so easy, it is easy for us to shy away and say, I'm not sure. I like heaven. I want the crown, but I don't want the cross. Ellen White says, before the crown must come the cross. Turn your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Today I want to talk about something very important, and that is how we can carry our cross. We know that the cross is not an easy task to do, right? To, uh, at least carrying the cross is not an easy thing to do, because we know what that implies. We know what that includes. It, it includes self-denial. It, it includes sacrifice. And so when we hear carrying the cross, it's hard for us to swallow that. But I want you to look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. There is something beautiful that Paul shares in this verse that I hope would bring you comfort. And I hope that as a result of this message, you would not be afraid to carry the cross. I hope that as a result of this message, that you would not only want heaven, but you wouldn't mind taking up the cross as well. Galatians chapter 2, looking at verse 20, if you get there, can you just say amen to let me know you beat me? All right, Galatians chapter 2, looking at verse 20. Actually, let's look at verse 16 for the sake of context. The Bible says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You see, Paul is speaking to an audience who believed... That in order to be saved, in order for you to be considered justified before God, that you would need to follow the works of the law. Legalism. And so Paul was writing to them and he spent these chapters here basically addressing that issue, helping them realize that no, you're not justified by the works of the law. You are justified by faith. But in verse 20 is the passage uh, that we're going to read this morning says this, I am crucified with whom? With Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can I get an amen? Paul says, no, it's not about works. It's not about you following the ways of the law in order for you to be justified. No, 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 no. You need to have faith in Christ. But I like what he says there in, in, the, in the beginning of the verse. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Something I want to bring out in reading that phrase. Because this phrase is very important. And I think if you can really understand what that means, being crucified with Christ, your Christian experience will go to another level. Why I say that, beloved, is because those two words, with Christ, are crucial. Because I think that there are a lot of us Christians who are trying to crucify ourselves without the aid of Jesus Christ. I think that there are many of us who profess Christianity, who profess Seventh-day Adventism, who are, who are trying to do away or, 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 or to suppress the fleshly desires, the carnal heart, on our own. And we think that the way to do that is to live a holy and blameless life. And so what we try to do is we try to put on the nice suit, the nice dress, the big smile on our face, and we come to church showing an appearance of being a good person. Perhaps thinking to ourselves, if we can just at least look good, then maybe God can smile on us. Beloved, I want to just tell you now that that is not sufficient. God is not looking for a group of people that merely have the form of godliness. God is looking, as we had talked about a few weeks ago, I talked about how God wants to transform not just the outside, but He wants to transform the heart. Amen? God wants to make a complete transformation in your life, so to try to look good on the outside, you aren't fooling Him. Because we know that God not only sees what's on the outside, but He also reads what's in the heart. But I think that many of us, we try to suppress the carnal nature on our own strength. When Paul is saying, if you want to be crucified, you need to be crucified through Jesus. Paul is speaking to, like as I mentioned, legalists who believe that they just need to do their part, they need to act right, they need to put up this facade, this good image, in order for them to be holy, sanctified people. But you see, the problem with that is that when you are trying to hold that cross, and let me just say this right off the bat, that everyone is holding a cross. And you'll see that in the sermon. Everyone is holding a cross. Whether you are a a Christian, a non-believer, everyone is holding a cross. And beloved, I like to say this, that if you are in that category of being like those who want to crucify themselves without the help of Jesus, you are carrying a cross that is too heavy for you. You are carrying a cross. It may be true that you may be able to tread along this path. You may be able to hold up this cross. You may be able to hold the weight for a time. But once a major crisis happens in your life, once something, once, once an event occurs in your life that is too big for you to handle, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be carrying that cross, and the cross is going to crush you to the floor. Because you're trying to hold that weight 
yourself. And beloved, that's why I believe that we have a lot of backslidden Christians. That's why I believe we have Adventists who give up, who burn out. And they burn out. Why? Because they are trying to tread the Christian experience alone. When Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, the Christian experience is not a solo marathon. The Christian experience requires the help of Jesus. Without Jesus, we are nothing. Turn to, turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And I want you to notice what it says in verses 43 to 45. Matthew chapter 12 Verses 43 to 45. And I want you to see, this is a very interesting parable that is shared here. But in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45, I want you to notice very carefully and try to follow on. Because this this has a lot of application to our lives. Verses 43 to 45, the Bible says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Continues on. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. You guys following this small parable? What I believe is being described here is it is describing a man or a woman who responds positively to an appeal, but makes the fatal mistake of trying to fix his life by himself. Do you guys catch that? This is a person that is described who is a person that responds positively to an appeal, but makes the fatal mistake of trying to fix his life. With his own strength. Because here you see this person, the, 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 the demon leaves, right? The, the, the demon leaves this person. But what's very interesting, as the demon comes back, he notices as he looks in that, that, that this person did such an incredible, incredible work of cleaning out the house, right? He looks inside and he sees that the house is empty, but the house is also clean. In other words, it's swept really neat. In addition to that, it is also garnished or well-organized. Are you guys following what I'm saying here? But here's the problem. This person, though he was successful in having that demon come out initially, though he was successful or she was successful in organizing the house, in other words, organizing the life, cleaning out the bad habits, taking out those things, getting rid of those things in their lives that they know were of the carnal self. As they, were, as they were actively doing that work, it's very interesting because as a demon comes back, he notices that and you know what happens? He's like, wow, this is the perfect place for me to stay. And so he, he calls with him seven other demons. And the demons enter into the man or the person again. Do you know what the problem was? It may have been true that this person got his, his or her life back together, that this person did a great work in, in, in reorganizing a life and, and getting rid of these, these, these different habits or distractions in their life. But you see what the problem was, was the house was empty. 
Are you guys following what I'm saying? Even though there may be a reorganization, a restructuring of life, even though this person may be doing the right things, because the house is empty, the demons are like, this is my place to live, and invites his friends to come over as well. It's not enough to do things in your life to make yourself look good. You need to have Jesus in the heart. And perhaps this is the reason why we find ourselves failing oftentimes. We go and respond to appeals that are given at GYC, or we listen to a sermon and we are convicted to the core, and we decide, you know, I'm going to follow Christ. But after one week, two weeks, three weeks later, we find ourselves back in our old ways. Beloved, the reason why is because we keep the house empty when day by day we should be inviting Jesus into our heart. The Bible says in Philippians chapter, I believe chapter 1 or 2, I can't remember exactly from the top of my head. But it says that it is God which worketh in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. How easy is that? You see, God, the, the whole gospel, the, the plan of salvation is a simple matter. God is not trying to make salvation complicated. He's not trying to make it difficult. It is very simple. Invite Jesus into your heart and he will do the work for you. It's interesting, Ellen White, I'm going to be coming to a close here soon, but Ellen White mentions, uh, she shares this testimony of, uh, of someone that she was observing who was like many of us, who respond to appeals in a very positive way. But it's so interesting how she describes her, 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 this particular friend. She says this, and I got this out of one of my friends who preached a similar message, but it says this, and this friend was naturally devotional. So in describing her friend, she's just a natural, naturally devotional person. We attended meetings together, and she was several times deeply moved, and more than half persuaded to leave her false life and become true to herself and God. But the decision was finally made to live for this world. She thought she could not bear the cross of Christ. You guys tracking me? So here, she, Ellen White has this friend who responds very positively to the messages that the message that's given. She is half, more than half convinced. But as she is weighing the world and as she is weighing the sacrifice it takes to be a Christian, she says, "I'd far better want to live in the world." And so she decides, "I will live for this world." And she decides to live for this world because she believes that she could not bear the cross. But I want you to listen very carefully what Ellen White says. Pen of Inspiration says, Yet, she daily imposed upon herself a tenfold heavier cross that Christ ever requires his followers to bear for him. Did you catch that? Even though in her mind she was weighing the world to, the, to, to bearing the cross of Christ, and she, she thought that the world was lighter, Ellen White was saying that as she had made the decision to follow the way of the world, she is bearing on a day-to-day basis a cross that is ten times heavier than the cross that Christ asks her to bear. Do you want to know why? It is very simple. 
Because when you're out in the world and you are going through these experiences in your life, these, the, 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 these tragic experiences in your life, these experiences where you fall into depression, those experiences that are so hard for you to bear, it is in those experiences, friends, that you need supernatural help. And this is why I believe it is far better to bear the cross of Christ. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, there's going to be shame. Yes, there's going to be self-denial. But it is far lighter to bear the cross of Christ than to bear the cross that the world gives to you. Because, beloved, there is no help in the world. You're on your own. When you are drunk and you're on the side of the toilet and you have nowhere to go, the best thing to do would be to turn to Jesus. But if you do not turn to Jesus, you're on your own. If you are depressed out of your mind, you're struggling with an addiction, and you don't know where to turn, and Jesus is there, but you don't turn to Jesus, guess what? You're on your own. There's no one there to help you. Who are you going to turn to? The devil? Because the devil is not going to help you. He's just going to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. He's going to say, hey, good job. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't turn to the cross of Christ, because the cross of Christ is far heavier. But the truth of the matter is... The Christian cross, the cross that Jesus hands to you, is ten times lighter than the cross that the world gives to you. And this is why I say everyone is to bear a cross. Whether you are a believer or a non-believer, everyone bears a cross. But the question is, what cross are you going to bear? And when you decide, if you decide to, to choose the cross that Christ gives to you, never forget to be crucified with Christ. I have two stories here to end with, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to close with one. Bible said, Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest in your souls. If we just let Jesus in, we will be able to experience rest because he wants us to take his yoke and learn of him. You know, there's this uh, story that I shared right next door as we were uh, ministering over there um, at the Green Lantern. It was a story that I had when I was co-porting. And uh, I remember there was one instance where I was dropped off in this uh, <clears throat> really, really long street. And I remember when I was first dropped off there, I was a little angry at my leader because as I looked at the streets... I pretty much recognized right away that I'm going to be on the street for hours. And I, I, I looked at my, my leader and I said, are you serious? Like, are you really going to drop me off here? Why don't you like help me find, why don't you put me in streets that are a lot shorter so I can see people, right? So I can see you and, and some of the other team. I can be more encouraged. But he says, no, you're the person for the job. I'm going to drop you off in this long street. And so he drops me off. He sort of kicks me out, right? And he says, work till Jesus comes. I'm like, have mercy, right? So here I am. I put on my bag and I have my books and, uh, you know, I put on the, the, the fake smile, right? Like, yes. So I go and I go to my first door, knock, 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 knock. Rejection. Second door, knock, 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 knock. Rejection. Down the street I go, working till Jesus comes. I finish my first half of the street. Not one single book goes out. I was ready at that point. Hey, leader, pick me up. This place is dry, right? This, 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 there's no way I'm going to be able to reach anyone here because the, 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 the place he dropped me off in the territory was considered in the cool porting world 
a difficult territory, tough, tough area to work. And I was feeling that, right? And, you know, a coal porter can only handle so much after being rejected so many times. But the Lord was encouraging me. So I go on to the next uh, set of houses and I'm working my way back. Knock, 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 rejection. Knock, 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 rejection. And I get rejected the entire street. Like, <laughs> this, this neighborhood just didn't like this guy, right? This coal porter. So I get the end, at the end of the street, and I'm looking up in the sky like, God, what is this? I just spent like hours trying to minister to these people, trying to get one single book into the, one, someone's home. One! Just one book. And I remember I looked down the street. And as I looked down the street, you wouldn't guess what happened. I started tearing up. I was like, what is this, Right? No, this is not happening right now, right? My leader's about to pick me up. I'm like, what? what's going on? And I'm just looking down the street and just like, like tears are just rolling down my face. Trying to hold myself together, but I can't. And I refrain from calling my leader because I just, I needed some time with myself, right? This leader is not about to see me crying. But I was crying. It's one o'clock. And you know... As I was crying, I began to weep even more because Jesus was communicating something in my mind. And he, it was as though he was speaking to me directly and he said these words, quoted the scripture, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, he'll let me come in. I remember that passage just went through my mind and I started crying even more because I recognized Yes, I got rejected by an entire street of people. I've been here for hours. I've been rejected door after door. But what Jesus was communicating as he shared that verse was, Listen, Kurt, you, have no, you really don't know what rejection means. You may have been rejected by these strip of homes, but every day I'm rejected by millions of people. I come to the, the door of their heart. I am knocking on the door of their heart. Could you please let me in? But time and time again, just like your experience you had on that street, people would just shut the door in my face. Beloved, do you want to put a smile on the face of Jesus? Open the door. You can change his day. You can make his day. You know the Bible says that if you accept him, if you repent of your ways, that all of heaven rejoices. Heavenly angels are singing. But Jesus and God, you can imagine, has just a huge smile on his face. Because you have received him. You have accepted him. You have allowed him to abide in your heart. You know, I started off this sermon, and we're closing here. The matter of transfiguration. Disciples, they saw this glorious sight of Jesus transfigured. They saw Moses and Elijah there. And they, they heard the audible voice, right, from heaven confirming that Jesus was the Son of God. The disciples, they crumble to the floor, scared and terrified, just wondering what's going on. But the Bible talks about when they look up, the only person they see is Jesus. And I don't know what, I, what to imagine when I'm thinking about that scene. I don't know if when the disciples looked on Jesus, they were like, oh, at least you're still here. Or I wonder if when the disciples looked at Jesus, they were thinking to themselves, oh, it's just Jesus. 
It's our friend that we we hang out with every day. I wonder what kind of reaction they had as they looked up at Jesus. But my hope and prayer is for each and every one of us that when we hear the name of Jesus, or when Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts, I pray that we would recognize that the person that is knocking on the door of our hearts is the King of Kings, is the Lord of Lords, is the man that has come into your life to want to save you. I hope that when you hear the name of Jesus, it brings tears to your face. That when you hear the name of Jesus, all your focus is on Him, not on what happened in the sports world, not on what happens in social media, not on what, what happened, you know, that movie that you watched last week, or not on these, you know, these trivial matters. But that when you hear the name of Jesus, all your attention is focused on Him. And I pray that that's your experience every day. How many of you want to open up your hearts to Jesus? Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.